Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport, music, and business. We deconstruct the tools of world-class performers to create growth and optimize business. I'm Noel Allnut, the CEO of Securo, and today I'll be talking to musician Mark Gable. He's best known as the lead singer and songwriter of the band Choir Boys. You'd probably remember their song, Run to Paradise. Mark is an extremely interesting character who's dealt with all sorts of hurdles, including mental health complications, but his intellectual and humorous approach to life have seen him create an amazing life. Mark is infectious and extremely entertaining, so please enjoy this awesome show of the Building Resilience Podcast. Building Resilience Podcast. Mark Gable, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, today, Mark, I'd love to understand firstly more about yourself and your background. Um, you've had a, an exciting career in the music industry, um, and I think that would be a really good place to start, um, to understanding how you went from, from your school life into, uh, into the bands and then into the choir boys. With, that's a... Uh is a very interesting question because it comes up a lot and it's come up a lot as I've been growing up because um, my mother presumed that I was dyslexic and maybe I, maybe I am. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD a couple of years ago. Now, maybe I've got that as well. I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> and experiencing depression as well, you know, and being on medication for 16 years and then trying to get off it last year. But the, and then going back on it now. Um, but these are side issues. But the main issue is, and obviously that's a, it's the one that really fascinates me about whether somebody is famous, notorious uh, or infamous or whatever. I look at their life and how they ended up doing what they were doing. And it's usually, as Todd Hunter from Dragon, the bass player from Dragon says, it's bumping into walls. And I was lucky enough to be born in the 50s as... A lot of the more predominant musicians or artists, if you will, whether it be actors or whatever the case may be, and I'm not diminishing what's happening now, but most most of us were or those people were born in the 50s. And going into the 60s and 70s, it was a time where you just go, oh, I'll just do whatever because you weren't concerned about money. You weren't concerned about doing necessarily the right or the wrong thing. Most Most people did the right thing. But it was like, you know, government's doing the wrong thing, of course, at times. But we basically, you know, um, just drifted along. It was the same for me. I think my mother was supportive of my creative skills, particularly, you know, artistically, painting-wise or whatever. She thought that I would have made a great commercial artist. But my school didn't support me in that. And the year that I wanted to go into arts, they said, no, there's no room. I said, but I'm really good at it. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) There's your first setback. <laughs> yeah. And so I go, oh, all right. You know, um, and then, you know, the Beatles came on and I was 13, came along and I was 13 and I went, oh, that looks really good. And I was allowed to do that. <laughs> and it was a time when we were allowed to do that. We were allowed to explore those kind of things. We weren't concerned about money. You know, life on the northern beaches of Sydney you know, it was down the beach, you know, in your bikinis, not me, you know, it was Speedos back then. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was like it was just fun and freedom. And I don't remember any pressure either 
not even culturally, to be a success. Um, and so I think that it allowed me to um, follow whatever dreams that I had or not dreams but lunacy, if you want to call it, because I go, I want to be Paul McCartney. That looks like fun, <laughs> you know. Like being Paul McCartney looks like it would be really good to do, you know. <laughs> Why do you think that's changed over the years of that um, scrutiny around success or perceived success? Well, it's funny because I woke up this morning and I didn't know I was going to talk about Paul McCartney. Um, but I thought <laughs> about Paul McCartney and I thought I could interview Paul because he used to do radio stuff and, um, you know, I'd love to interview him now. And, you know, my, and my conversation would be, you know, like you're Paul McCartney and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, what's it like and all that kind of stuff. But it's not really about that. It's like, you having to deal with, you know, the fact that you're Paul McCartney and you want to go and get a cup of coffee, right? And it's just a pain in the ass being who you are. Is it a pain in the ass being who you are, <laughs> right? Because you can't be anonymous, you know. It's like you're bloody Paul McCartney and you've touched everybody in the Western world in some manner or not. But, you know, they're not there with you while you're sitting on the toilet doing a poop, right? You know, that's just... You know, you being you, you know, and I sort of, I, I, I wonder if it's difficult for people in that position, you know, to uh, lead the life um, of normality and just do normal things, you know. And I, I heard that um, the the guys that invented the game Minecraft, they sold it uh, to Microsoft for two billion or something, right? And and. One of the guys that invented it is now living in California and he's worth over a billion dollars. And, and the rumour is that he's going a little bit crazy because he doesn't know what to do with his life. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you say actually on a um, – I was doing some research and listening to some other podcasts you've been on and you said something really, really relevant and I thought – you said nobody trained you back then, and still people don't get trained on how to be famous. There's no rule book, no. but yet society doesn't care that you haven't been trained. It's not like a, a doctor, you walk into a surgery and you assume that this person's going to be able to look after you, but people assume famous people are just famous all the time and just uh, they can deal with the stress and the pressure. Well, that's it. Bruce Springsteen suffered from depression, right? And you go, well, how does that work? He's, you know... He lives in New York, which is the coolest town in America. Uh, he's a billionaire. You know, he's achieved everything he wanted to achieve. He does a concert, 30,000 people turn up. What's his bloody problem? You know, <laughs> but, but that's the thing is they're human, you know, and after interviewing, mm. you know, several people, I, I found out that, you know, that they were, you know, several famous people over the years doing radio, they were just human and, you know, the quote from Mick Jagger was, if you treat famous people um, like normal people and normal people like famous people, you'll do well in life. Supposedly he said that. And it's like, you know, um, I won't mention their names because um, there was a famous singer in the 70s who I saw on Sunday and there was a famous rock and roller, songwriter, participant in a very famous Australian band. And um, the famous singer from the 70s walked past, very tall guy, and and the other famous successful rock and roller goes, That's what's that smell? He's he's had a joint. I go, he has? And he goes, he goes, yeah, I get why do you want one? And he goes, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like, 
in your 60s and beyond. What are you doing? Right? And so what it's about <laughs> to me is that they're just bloody human. Yeah. They still suffer from, you know, whatever it is being human on an everyday basis because we have to live with ourselves. And how did you live with that um, when the choir boys really started kicking off and you had hits like Run to Paradise? How did you deal with that? I don't think I dealt with it well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you, for instance, you know, before Run to Paradise, 1983, we released our first album and I was walking along George Street, Sydney, going to Albert's production studio, floor seven, King Street, um, and I was just walking along and then there was a, a guy and a girl and they saw me across the road and they go, there, there he is, there he is. And guess what I did? I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> I ran away, you know, like, and they chased me. And I went into the, into the Alberts and I was in the lift and went, oh, thank God. And now I go, what kind of an idiot are you? You should have gone over and hugged them. You know? <laughs> big deal, you know. And if you make a big deal about it, then it becomes a big deal. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And the less of a big deal you make it, I think the better you are. Yeah, it's interesting through this show, I've um, interviewed some people who'd be classed as very famous and whether it's today or whether it's uh, it's in the past they've had that huge amount of fame. Um, you realise once you start having a conversation and you hear the story, uh, everybody kind of has the same challenges. There might be different versions of that challenge, whether it's imposter syndrome or whether it's um, just the fear of performing. Everyone has challenges across the board. It doesn't matter how well um, they've been trained, etc. Nobody kind of gets out of bed one morning and goes, wow, that's easy being a professional cricketer and being able to speak to the press and being on the back page of the news every day or being a, a, a famous musician um, and being number one in the charts um, and, uh, and and running down George Street away from fans. It's a, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, in terms of your, um, your, your musical journey, um, you were in a in a real heyday for for Australian music, and like you mentioned so many other great bands from around the world. Um, was there anybody that you saw um, or that you'd met where you could really thought that they're worth modelling, or they had something that you know, that was worth emulating? There are two sides to the story. There's the performance side, the professional side. You know, there's the always on Instagram, there's always doing great shows, they're always doing this, always doing that, right? And then there's the other side, the personal side. Um, and one of the bands we work with is probably not one of my favourite musical bands, is Def Leppard, and they were just my idols after having toured with them because of their attitude. They were happy, friendly, uh, um, non-snobbish, um, they didn't care about what people thought about them. They were just always happy to see people and talkative, and I just thought they were amazing. On the other hand, there's a whole bunch of other bands or artists, right, that are, I probably like musically better, but I <laughs> – and I won't mention you – don't, You don't fancy a beer with them. <laughs> I don't want to talk – I won't talk to – and see, I – I don't go up and say hello. I sat next to Gene Simmons in the Virgin Lounge once. Um, he was at the other table. And I wasn't going to – if I'm not introduced, I won't go up and say hello to someone, right? Yeah. I just won't do it. I'm not one of those people. I have to be introduced to them 
and I just want to see them as normal people. Um, and so, but there are certain people that I have met that I wish I hadn't have met, you know, and, right. and I go, they're great, you know, great artists, great songwriters, whatever, you know, and I just go, oh, is it really worth it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, you are amazing, but you're a prick, right? <laughs> well, at least you're a prick to me, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't have any time for that. I think that um, we're all equal and people go, say, what's it like being up on stage and you're in front of an audience and, you know, and I like controlling and having fun and everything, but I don't see myself as any better than what they are. I I see us all as equals. I I think that's the disappointing thing. So you say, who would I model myself on? It's like attitude-wise, definitely the guys from Def, Def Leppard. Um, and, and uh, but, you know, Musically, I think you know, and and performance-wise, I think you'd have to look at Midnight Oil and ACDC, and even the Angels back in the day when it was like, and the Vinyls, right? With just the complete. And I did mention local bands, right? There have been some overseas bands that have been great as well, but some of those Australian bands were just incredible. And so, performance-wise, I'd have to look at those bands. They were just the Vinyls. In the early days, it was like unbelievable. You know, I haven't seen anything like that since. Speaking there around the local bands, um, local music um, in Australia, but also around the world with COVID, was really badly hit, um, and it was very hard on the artists and um, um, live performance and, and people who were supporting the, uh, the the live performance, all the roadies, etc. As well, it was a really tough time across the board. Um, and I heard you kind of speak very passionately about uh, the recovery for live music. How have you? How are you finding that now? As we're starting to get back to normality, more more live music again. Are you seeing a? Are you seeing an upswell? Are you seeing any impact now that was that was really started through the the times of uh, lockdowns, etc. Um. I, well, look, I enjoyed the lockdown because it was good to have a break after, you know, decades and decades of doing it. Uh, but when we did for the second year, I was starting to go crazy. But I think there is an upswell, and particularly when it comes to festivals. People are loving to go to festivals, um, but they're very concerned about getting COVID still, and so they're not they don't seem to want to go to the smaller performances as much. So theatre shows and all that kind of thing have been suffering um, even still. Uh, and it seems odd because when they go to festivals, the, the rate of getting COVID seems far greater than that of going to the smaller venues. Um, but, you know, there are many positives that have come out of it as long as the negatives. And, of course, uh, with Choir Boys, I've noticed we're getting more and more work and there's more and more shows coming and people are really enjoying the live performances. The audiences are. They're having a ball. Um, and we are as well. And uh, so there is an upswing. Um, but I think there was a lot of damage done, but also I think that there that will promote a lot of good changes, I think. And what that will be, I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm talking about creative mm. changes. I'm Hopefully, we'll get back to songwriting. Um, I don't know whether the live scene will be as strong as what it was, but I don't think it's going to be too bad, but I think it's going to be quite different. So I'm, you know, looking forward to the future. 
And, um, you know, the choir boys have done quite a lot of live streams here from the studio, and I want to still do more of those because it is an internet world, um, even though my internet is not working well today. <laughs> uh, it will be. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, what the changes will be. I think it's going to be a better world. Yeah. It's definitely a different. Uh, we're starting to see from a business perspective, people come back to the office and um, we're, we're on George Street today and um, we can start to kind of bring some life back. So it's it's great to see and um, it's good to see some packed festivals as well. Long may it continue and uh, let's hope the government allows uh, allow people to be social and make those connections. Um, you're an ambassador for Beyond Blue, um, a really important charity across Australia. And um, could you help us understand more around how you got into that and and what you see your purpose within that um within those type of organizations sure well i think that uh you know my remember my opinions are based on um uh a personal opinion i'm not a medical practitioner and so (laughs) i can only look at it from a personal perspective but i think that depression is um an epidemic and it's far greater, particularly uh, I'm not sure about other parts of the world, but in the Western world, it's at massive levels and we're having trouble dealing with living the kind of lives that we have been living for the last few decades. Um, You know, uh, so I think that uh, my depression when I decided to stop drinking and partying and taking drugs and being an idiot. I did all that in one day. And then I was watching television and I heard a couple of people talking about this organisation called Beyond Blue and they were sports people and they were ambassadors for Beyond Blue. And I went, oh, okay, this is really interesting considering what I've just been through. Um, so I, I contacted Beyond Blue and said, look, um, uh, I've noticed there are not many people in the music field, um, industry, if you want to call it that, who are uh, participating or speaking out about depression and uh, mental well-being or illness, um, and I want to be one of those people to do so. And they welcome me with open arms. And I think that, um, once again, it's the same message that's been there for uh, a long time now, and that's to reduce the stigma and the weirdness around depression because when you get COVID, you get COVID, you get a runny nose, you get loss of smell, you get temperature, and we know what it is. But once again, depression is like a very individualistic thing. Uh, It's something that we uh, uh, only experience on a personal level Um, and it's very hard to interpret that because even when I hear stories, they're vastly different um, no matter what type of depression we're talking, whether it's bipolar or just uh, normal clinical depression. Um, and so it's still a very hard thing to get a grasp on, but it's there. It's there every day. It's growing and people need to know that there is support for it. And I guess why there is support is because it's so incredibly ambient and the more that we understand that and the more that we accept it for what it is and what it can be the easier it is to deal with and and of course the 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 greatest message that depression gives you is 
that I'm not worth being around. I'm not worth anything. And that there's nothing in the world that, that does that to you. You don't get that from COVID. You just get sick. But with depression, you feel a helplessness. And that's why organisations like Beyond Blue and all everybody else that's out there um, in organisations are important because they're saying that this is only temporary. This is just something like COVID or like flu or like a broken leg and you will get past it and we have ways of helping you do so. And um, that's the important message and that's why these organisations, Beyond Blue and the ambassadors that go out there telling their stories are so important because they help people who are not feeling uh, positive and not feeling like they're worth anything, that they are worthwhile, and they are worthwhile. They absolutely are. Mark, could you give any practical examples or advice? Again, I understand it's not coming from a medical background, but just from your the, the empathetic way in which you, you've tackled this and through your ambassadorship um, um, for for the for the listeners, if they've got um, friends that they assume may be suffering from depression, is there any advice you can give as somebody who wants to 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 give help to others? I think the important thing is to, and this is only a personal opinion, right? But I don't like people when they give me solutions, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that, um, for instance, with uh, my child, I've said he's nine. Um, and he goes to the local school here. And a, one of the parents passed away to one of his friends and um, another one of the children passed away. And so the way that I dealt with, um, for instance, the parent of the child that passed away was that all I did was go up and grab them on the arm and that's it. I didn't say a word, right, because they don't want to be um, tackled by people who who think that they are the solution or that they have a solution. These people are grieving or these people are going through depression, for instance, and they need support and it needs to be balanced support. And, that, and I believe that that balanced support, if you're supporting someone who has depression, is that don't give them solutions give them love, give them support. If they ask you for answers, give them the answers, but always be there ready and able to support them and and help guide them, but guide them in a very positive, loving way. Um, now, that's just my personal opinion because I know that there are a lot of people, you know, for instance, a very famous friend of mine when I first had depression, I won't say it was a he or a she, but we'll say he or she said, you've got to get over this. <laughs> <laughs> Straight at the jugular. <laughs> yeah, he or she went, oh, sorry, I just slipped out. <laughs> so the point being is that, look, I understand you have depression. If you need me, I'm here and I will just be your friend as always, um, no matter what you're going through. And if you need love and support, um, then I'm always here for you. Remember that. I care for you. I love you. And you are my friend and you are valuable to me. That is the most important remedies that outsiders can give, I think. 
Mark, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation today. I really appreciate you uh, joining us and, and really talking through uh, your career and, and what you've seen out there and, of course, the challenging times that we have, but also that really positive, optimistic view of, um, of how we can help others and really grow. The last question I ask all of our guests is, how do you define resilience? Oh, <laughs> there's many ways to define resilience. For instance, I've met people that are in their 70s and are married as teenagers or early 20s, right? And I go, wow, that is an achievement. And they go, some of them go, yes, and we're still very happy together. And others go, oh, boy, it's been really tough, right? So is resilience survival? I think I would define resilience in that if you're finding, if you've found a path in your life that you're happy with, and I'm not just talking about success in money, um, but I'm talking about your choice that you spend most of your day doing, uh, and you're happy, really happy doing that, and you've done it for a long time. And even if you change your course of action, course of direction, which I've known many people to do, and found greater happiness in another career, then that is resilience. Because I think long-term happiness, um, and if you find something that supports your happiness, then that's resilience. I'm just one of the lucky ones because <laughs> I pushed into it. You know, I just went, I'm going to do music, you know, because it looks like fun. Now, I was just lucky, but it hasn't come without pain. But I'm doing something that I love. I love performing. And so I think for me, that is resilience. Now, that may not be the case for everybody, but that's how I would define it. Thank you, Mark. I love that. I love that approach. Ultimately, whether it's luck or not, it all starts with taking action. And you've taken action. You've uh, you've bumped into plenty of walls by the sounds of it. Uh, looking at that, and then <laughs> you continue to uh, continue to grow and, and, and bring joy into the the people that you perform with. And um, and by the sounds of it, bring joy uh, playing those games with your your nine year old son as well. I hope you've managed to get the uh, get the electricity, the internet back online after uh, after the ghosts and the ghouls. Games. Well, we pay the price for playing games. We're playing. Games. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We pay the price for playing games. I think that's probably got to be the quote of the day. <laughs> um, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope you have a, um, a, the great, a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss the future episodes. And if you like the show, give us five stars. Thanks to our guest today, Mark Gable. I appreciate your time. Thank you to our sponsor, Securo. If you'd like to know more about myself or Securo, you can head to securo.io. Securo. Trust tomorrow. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. G'day, this is Tim Gilbert. And I'm Shane Lee. Together, we'll bring you the only podcast you'll need to get your daily dose of sport. With episodes out Monday to Friday afternoons, ready for you on your drive home. We've got a quick hit of sports headlines, keeping you up to date with the news you need to know. And we'll take a deep dive into the stuff you've always wanted to know. Cannot wait. Follow us on your podcast app so you don't miss it. We'll see you then.